as I mentioned uh, this morning, wait just a moment, let me get situated. As I mentioned this morning, uh, we're looking this evening at uh, what I've referred to as understandest what thou singest. And that's a meshing or a blending, a merging of uh, two different passages. Uh, the first, when we find Philip approaching the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, in the King James, as he notices that he's reading from Isaiah, uh, what we'd have there talking about Jesus in the 53rd chapter, he uh, asks him, understandest what thou readest? And of course, the Ethiopian man doesn't. And so from that passage, Philip explains to him, teaches to him, preaches him Jesus. And the culmination of that discussion is the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch, after which he goes on his way rejoicing. But he asks the question, understandest what thou readest? And then later on in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, we have a text where uh, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts in the early church and how if you're going to be a party to using your gift in the sense of speaking in tongues, uh, you need to make sure there's an interpreter of tongues there present as well. Uh, whether you're talking or praying or singing, make sure that you've got an interpreter if you're speaking in tongues because if not, you've got chaos. And God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so uh, Paul says, I pray with the understanding also. I pray and I sing also with the understanding also, along with the Spirit in both senses. And so the idea put together is, do we understand what we're singing? We need to understand the words. And so often, uh, if you're like me, you've run across a word here or there, you're not quite sure exactly what it means. And uh, we're not going down the path of uh, just misunderstanding. We've all been there. Uh, you know, you've heard about people who uh, look at uh, the old song, Gladly the Cross-Eyed Bear, and uh, they think it's a cross-eyed bear named Gladly, and that's not the case, and that's not what this lesson is even about. Or are you sowing the seed of the king, dumb brother, uh, is not the way the song is meant to be understood. Uh, when I was growing up over in Miami, we sang from uh, the old book that has 728B in it. And one of the songs in that book uh, was, Who Will Follow Jesus? And the, uh, the chorus uh, of that song said, Who will follow Jesus? Who will make a reply? I am on the Lord's side, Master, here am I. And as a small child, I just knew everybody was singing, who will follow Jesus? Who will make a pie? And I was hoping it was chocolate. And so that's not what this lesson is about. Instead, I'll take you to, uh, in your songbook, uh, number 894. We'll sing it in just a little bit. Uh, we uh, sang this song a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two back, in the Wednesday night uh, class, and after I sang it, somebody asked me, well, what is Beulah Land? And uh, you see some things in the uh, outlying areas of the song here on the page that give some hint to it, but uh, actually it opens up more questions than it answers uh, when you put this alongside your concordance or even Google search. 
you find uh, at the bottom of the page it says Beulah, poetic name for the promised land. And then up at the top, just below the title, you see the words, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo, the last of the book of Deuteronomy. And of course, he's surveying there the promised land of Canaan. And so you'd think you'd go back and read about Beulah land back in uh, books like Deuteronomy or the last of Exodus. Uh, oh, weren't that simple. Uh, but to get there, and of course the way we sing it, we're not talking about how interested we are in going back over to, uh, to modern day Israel. Uh, we're talking about the rest of heaven, uh, the Canaan land of heaven that we as Christians are looking forward to. Extrapolated biblically somewhat from that Canaan land that they were looking to. But still, that's not where the name comes up. It's an interesting and somewhat circuitous way uh, to get here. But if you've got your Bible with you, it might be worth turning to the book of Isaiah for just a moment and chapter 62. Isaiah 62, and this is where the word is actually used in the Bible. And if you're thinking, that's a long way away from Deuteronomy, well, you're right. And that's a long way from Hebrews 4 or Revelation chapter 21 and 2. You're, you're right. But let's begin reading at verse number 1. Isaiah 62, beginning at the first verse. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You also shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate but you shall be called Hezbollah and your land Beulah. And there you find the word Beulah. But to get to the fourth verse, we have to go through the first couple of verses to give us a bit of context. And before I go further, I'll just be honest with you and say that not everybody agrees with me on this next. Uh, I believe Brother Hugo McCord's on my side, so I feel fairly secure in the position I take. But this new name he refers to, I uh, don't believe it's either of these two names mentioned in verse 4, uh, one of which is toward the land of Beulah, because those names were used. They were common uh, in the parlance of the Hebrews. In fact, Beulah is a transliteration of the language. But rather, uh, many scholars use this as a messianic text pointing forward to Christ one day and uh, the church which would be formed in his name, purchased by his blood, and built by himself. And it's interesting here that some timetable is put on this uh, when the righteousness of uh, Jerusalem will go forth as brightness, the salvation, of course, from Jerusalem as lamp that burns, uh, the Gentiles will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, uh, you'll be called by a new name. Well, you may remember that in the New Testament the word Christian isn't used that often. 
but it is used. In Acts 11, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And Agrippa, he refers and responds by way of Paul's preaching the gospel to him by saying, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Or do you believe with so few words you can persuade me to be a Christian, depending on your translation. And, of course, Peter refers to suffering as a Christian and how we should glorify God on that behalf. But this word Christian, one more time, turn one more place in your Bible uh, to the book of Acts in chapter 11. It is of a special interest, at least to me, that here in the 11th chapter you find in verse 26 the first reference of uh, the name Christian. The last bit of this 26th verse, and the disciples were called Christians in Antioch. First called Christians in Antioch. But look back at how the chapter begins. Of course, you realize chapter 11 follows in the heels of the conversion of Cornelius in the 10th chapter. And the 11th chapter begins referencing that and Peter's defense of that uh, before the other apostles and brethren at uh, Judea. The 11th chapter starts by saying, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. It seems either providential or at the very, very wildest view of things, highly coincidental, that the prophet had spoken of this new name being given when the Gentiles might see the righteousness of God after salvation has gone forth from Jerusalem. His salvation is a brightness from Jerusalem. Just as Isaiah had said back in the second chapter that the kingdom would begin from the word going forth from Jerusalem. But this having happened now, the new name is not used until after the first Gentile convert. And uh, the door to Gentiles now has been opened. And it's in that context, in fact, in that very chapter of Acts that the name Christian is first used. And when it refers to Christians being called that, uh, there are various words for Christian, about three or four uh, for called in the New Testament and the Greek. Uh, this is not one of the generic uses, but most often, or perhaps not most, but very often used in Scripture as a divine calling. And so rather than the pejorative view that some have, that there were those who were mocking God's people by uh, with derision in their uh, intent referring to these uh, disciples as Christians, it seems by the use of the word here of called that they were called of heaven as Christians. And in my view, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 62 in terms of what and also when. Now what does that have to do with Beulah? Well, just the fact that the context for this uh, word Beulah is in that same passage. The fourth verse of this one starts in the first of chapter 62. And so in the context of Isaiah 62, if it be a messianic text, it's referring to this time in which we now live, in which the spiritual Israel, which Paul says uh, are the church, it's us. Uh, if we're Abraham's seed, we're heirs according to the promise. As Christians, in the last of Galatians chapter 3, 
That being the case then, uh, this land which they had been married to, which they will in prophecy and promise be married to, and that's the uh, actual definition in the Hebrew of this word beulah, married. It's a land to which you're married. The land to which we as Christians are married is the heavenly home we're looking forward to. As Paul says in Philippians 3 and 20, your citizenship. Well, no, he doesn't say that. He says our citizenship is in heaven from whence we wait for a Savior. And so if that be the case, if it's talking about heaven, how do you get back to, to uh, how do you get back to the exodus and the wandering and the land of Canaan? Well, you have to thank the printing press and Gutenberg for that. And uh, you go all the way back to the 1400s when the printing press is invented. And the Gutenberg Bible comes out, which even predates the original King James Bible of 1611. And in 1678, a man named John Bunyan writes a book called Pilgrim's Progress, where he uses the word Beulah to speak of heaven, or at least the outskirts of the celestial city. And in that uh, fictional book, he uses it that way. And from that reference, then many uh, poets, and at least in this one case, I know of two songs referring to Beulah Land this way, I go back and use it for the land, uh, which is, well, here it says, I've reached the land of love divine. Uh, we've cleaned it up a bit. The original song says, I've reached the land of corn and wine. And uh, if that uh, is somewhat uh, off-putting to you, that's actually biblical language. You find that phrase, either corn or grain and wine, a number of times, always referring to either the land of Canaan in which Jacob then lived or that land of Canaan to which the children of Israel were going. Uh, we often call it a land of milk and honey, but it's just as often referred to as a land of corn and wine or grain and wine, a place of fertility in the land and great produce in the area. It's a good place to live and farm. Beulah land. And so when we sing, and uh, I'm not sure if it's been sung from this pulpit before, we sang it Wednesday night a few times back, we're going to sing it in just a few moments, uh, this Beulah land we're longing for from our perspective is heaven. Uh, everything that Canaan was for the people of God in the Old Testament book of Exodus, those people, some 3, 000, 3 million perhaps led by Moses, uh, our, our heavenly home far surpasses that. Any glory they saw in the land before them is far surpassed by the land before but one more thing to, to, to mention before we sing the song together. And that is the first of verse number three. The zephyrs seem to float to me, sweet sounds of heaven's melody. It just strips off the tongue. But what's a zephyr? Because after all, they're, they're, they're floating to me. Uh, the zephyrs are, the, you'll see that uh, these are are calm and sweet and gentle breezes. Uh, there's another song we sing that uses the same word zephyr and it means the same thing. And so this place uh, that we look forward to, this heavenly home we have by 
poetic language and license is a place where every need is provided. And we haven't got the tornadoes of Oklahoma. We've got the soft, gentle breezes of a more uh, Caribbean lifestyle. And so let's sing together number 894. I've reached the land of love divine and all its riches freely mine here shines and dimmed one blissful day for all my night has passed away. Oh, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land, as on thy highest mount I stand, I look away across the sea where mansions are prepared for me and view the shining glory shore my have my home forevermore my savior comes and walks with me and sweet communion here have we he gently leads me by his hand for this is heaven's borderland. Oh, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land, as on thy highest mount I stand, I look away across the sea, where mansions are prepared for me, and view the shining glory shore, my have my home, forevermore. The zephyrs seem to float to me, sweet sounds of heaven's melody, as angels with a white robe throng join in the sweet redemption song. Oh, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land, as on thy highest mount I stand, I look away across the sea, where mansions are prepared for me, and view the shining glory shore, my have my home forevermore. We have time for one quick other. Turn in your book, since you're so close, you can back up a few pages, about eight, I believe, uh, in number anyway, to 886. Because these two songs uh, have the same message with different images in the mind, uh, different uh, imagery to deal with. This is more direct to the time of the crossing of the Jordan River, of course, into the land of Canaan. And remember that uh, they crossed the Jordan much like they did the uh, Red Sea. Uh, it was a somewhat different miracle done by way of uh, the words used, but in both cases they walk across on dry land. And uh, this area of Jordan, back to Joshua chapter 3, we haven't time to turn there this evening, uh, refers to uh, the more tumultuous and stormy, but it wasn't an easy crossing is what I'm trying to say, and what uh, the text of Joshua 3 says as they consider this in the real time of their own lives. 
And so uh, the idea is there that they'd gone through a difficult time and the actual crossing itself, though God prepared the way for them and presented the reward ahead of them, it was uh, something that uh, had, as it were, stormy banks to go through uh, to get through to the other side. And of course we use this, as was the case with the song previous, uh, to not just sing a song of history about people of the past, but to sing a song of redemption for us and our glories for the future. As we consider these stormy banks that we pass over, the wishful eye we see of the land before us, the land of milk and honey for us, or corn and wine for us, the land of rest, the land of heaven. Uh, we do so with great anticipation. And it's referred to us as Canaan's land because the writer of Hebrews uses language like that. And the writer of Hebrews speaks in the third and parts of the fourth chapter about this same idea that just as there were those in the time of the Old Testament who died in the wilderness never seeing the promised land because of their unbelief, we may also, as God's people, not enter our rest because of unbelief. Our same faithlessness can cause us, just as was the case with them, to miss out on what God had promised and prepared for them. And so let's sing number 886 together. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We will rest in the fair and happy land by and by, just across on the evergreen shore. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and well with Jesus evermore. Oh, the transporting rapturous scene that rises to my sight. Sweet fields arrayed in living green and rivers of delight. We will rest in the fair and happy land by and by, just across on the evergreen shore. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. Filled with delight, my raptured soul would here no longer stay. Though Jordan's waves around me roll, fearless I'd launch away. We will rest in the fair and happy land by and by, just across on the evergreen shore. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. And one more thing before we leave this song. I hadn't noticed before, but uh, when it refers to singing the song of Moses and the Lamb, uh, that takes you back to Exodus 15, the song Moses sang of victory and celebration, thanksgiving, after they had been uh, 
delivered from the Egyptian armies and gone safely across the Red Sea. Uh, they had the land of promise ahead of them. Uh, they didn't know then it would be 40 years because of their unbelief. But for the moment, for the day, they were filled with thanksgiving and joy. And we had the song of Moses there, a wonderful national celebration of uh, thanksgiving led by Moses in that song then. And later referenced in the book of Revelation in conjunction with the Lamb of God in Jesus Christ and the fact that just as there was thanksgiving then for that deliverance, we celebrate with all of God's people both in this realm and the celestial realm for his deliverance of us and our hope one day of heaven. We all sing the song of Moses and the Lamb as we consider our home beyond this one, the land of heaven. And I shouldn't have to say, but I will, in verse 2 and verse 4, uh, the rapture scene and our raptured soul have nothing to do with the modern-day rapture, but have to do with our being awestruck, overwhelmed, emotionally, inwardly overcome by the immensity, enormity of the blessings of that place. And so both these songs deal with our longing for our heavenly home. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to offer an invitation. Before I do that, uh, as I mentioned this morning, this is not going to be an every Sunday thing. I, I would like to do some more of these along the way at sporadic times uh, from time to time. That said, if you've got a song which you wonder about, uh, let me know about it, and I'll add it to my list, and we'll add it to uh, what we're doing here. I'm open to your uh, suggestions. If you have ever been singing along a song and you're uh, running across a word or a phrase or an idea uh, that you think, I just don't know what in the world I just said. Well, let's look at it together and try to figure it out, and maybe we'll all be helped. Because what we want when all is said and done is for us to be able to sing with the spirit and with the understanding, to really mean what we sing. Now back to heaven. All of us want to go there. And so the only question left for this evening is, are you prepared for that wonderful place? It's prepared for you. Are you prepared to go there? Are you a Christian? And if so, are you faithful? And if not, why not change that tonight and come as together we stand and sing? <laughs> 